Welcome to Doctrine and Devotion, a podcast exploring Christian faith and practice from a Reformed Baptist perspective. My name is Joe Thorne. I'm the lead pastor of Redeemer Fellowship in St. Charles, Illinois. And I'm Jimmy Fowler, executive pastor at Redeemer Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We here. Mm-hmm. It's well, Thursday. Man, it well, is. Well, for us, uh, it's Saturday. Yeah, we record. You don't, you don't, come on. Just, what? Oh, they're gonna, we're going to ruin they, the, they make the it, podcast like ben Shapiro, magic. Like every week, every, it's like live. Let's pretend it's live. It's not it's live, live, though. But we pretend. No one's going to believe that. Why, we why do you think we're friends? Why do people, 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 they believe that? They you know, you're right. They do think See? that. They exactly. do think that. Steve and I do a pretty good job of making you feel special. Yeah. I, I, need, I need a lot of support. You know, I um, listen, uh, I know you haven't been feeling well. And uh, I was grateful that, you know, you had uh, a manservant uh, come along to bring you your coffee. Oh, double yes. Cup My Americano. Yep, Americano. Double cup. Double cup with, with a room. sleeve that with room with it with a sleeve. That's how you do it. Yeah. Now, how did you find a manservant? We're busy. We got things going. How did you find a manservant to bring you your coffee? What did you, What did you do? Well, I just uh, uh, went through my Rolodex. You have a Rolodex still? Yeah. Is that a rich man thing? Is that what that is? That's a rich guy thing. Because the only reason you would have a Rolodex, a physical Rolodex, is because you wanted to sit on your desk and everybody would be like, "Look at all those other like cool, important, rich people." They so have. like when I like when you know a customer comes in. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh, here, you know, here's my car." I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let me just go ahead and. Yep, that's what you have. Right that's there. a rich guy thing, right? I don't know. I don't know. If it's oh, a rich guy <laughs> thing. I don't have one. Anyways, so you went through a. You have a Rolodex. I have of a Rolodex man-servants. of manservants, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so I reached out to the the closest one. Okay, uh, being Paul Maxwell, who yeah. was already at Arcidium. Yeah, and so I was like, "Hey." Eh, give me a coffee. Chop, chop, son. Let's go. See you in a half hour. <laughs> Make sure it's still warm. You've done good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate We're so that. excited for yes. you to be here, Paul. Yeah. And we, we, you know, still kind of hurts that you didn't move up here. I know. Um, <laughs> I know you like to blame it on God's providence, but uh, we just blame you. <laughs> sounds good. Yeah. And uh, Molly. We blame you and Molly. I don't even know. Good. We were just talking about it. We don't know that Molly exists. Oh, yeah. She definitely exists. You'll uh, see her. Okay. You'll see yeah, her okay but yeah. that's, that's Is like she a, real? Because yeah. oh, okay. I kind of expected she'd be here right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But here she yeah. isn't. And yeah. Yeah. Okay, look, Again. Right, right, oh, yeah, right. my, oh, yeah. My wife. Yeah. She's, uh, you know, busy. She's around. Doing she's things. around. Yeah. Even tonight at the date. You might not see her, but she'll be there. She'll be there in spirit. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. This isn't like a uh, uh, Bates, you know, motel type thing going on here, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. It might be something like be that. A, it, yeah. Maybe there is a Molly, but there, it's, yes. a, it's it's a bald, ripped, thirty year old. No, he puts on a wig. That's what I'm saying. Like, well, no, you said bald. He's bald. Uh, right. No, but but okay, the, just but the, forget it. You're ruining see, the thing. You, you ruin everything, right. Josie. This yeah, is why we have to pretend Paul. to be friends. Paul, listen. <laughs> Paul, you're here for the weekend. Um, we're super excited. I know. Like everybody's been asking. Like, can I, can I see Paul? Can I hang out with Paul? They Paul have not been asking. Jimmy. Oh, that's actually happened quite a bit. Yeah. Okay. When is Paul going to be at Levita? And we're like, well, we can't tell you because we don't want you nerds like fanboying him to death. Yeah. Um, but we are going to be at Levita. We're uh, we're gonna you're gonna be at church tomorrow, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we wanted to get you on the podcast. We're like, we got to get you on the podcast. Talk about something that we haven't talked about before, and we wanted to talk about pacifism. Now we have talked about it in that we've talked about justified violence before in the past. Okay. Um, that we do believe there is a place for for violence. That you know the, the scripture has a lot to say about violence. Right. L- there's a lot of negative statements about violence. God hates the violent yeah. person, the wicked violent person, and yet. God goes into great detail about, you know, 
his people committing violence uh, for his purposes. Mm. Um, and then there, so there's, there's a lot to be said. Um, but we wanted to talk about pacifism as an ideology. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I'm encountering it more and more, and maybe it's not on the rise. Uh, maybe I'm just finding it more often. Mm. But uh, I thought it would be good for us to talk about it. But before we get into that, um, I wanted to talk to you about something. And I don't want to make you uncomfortable, mm. but uh, we love your content. We love yeah. Selfwire, selfwire.org. We think it is one of the most important things for people, Christians in particular, to listen to. Not because you're going to agree with everything Paul says. I don't agree with everything Paul says. Last time he said Jimmy was the podcast husband. That was a very, <laughs> grievous, very grievous evil. Um, but, don't uh, apologize for truth. But e- That's but, so beta. We're going to have what, a just war right now. And, the, no, <laughs> and so this, this, this is the thing, though. It's like uh, it's, 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 it's great content that challenges and makes us think and, it, yep, and instructs. Very good. However, uh, you are uh, a provocative personality mm. and your content is provocative, not unnecessarily so. Mm. Um, and so you will go and you will say things. And sometimes you say things that people might not understand because sometimes you're just a little too nerdy about the, you're, you're just a little too up in the nerd. For sure. You're right. Yes, nerd absolutely. realm of, of like, I, I don't know where you're coming from because I haven't right. read those books. Lost in the so, clouds some, a bit. Sometimes yeah. you do that. Um, yep. But other times you're just, you're just making an argument. You're making your point, yep. And then people take it the wrong way. Yep. And it's because they don't know you. And it's just easy to do. And yep. we all have to own that. But late, recently, um, you went after uh, the the Fofos, also known as the Betas. And, um, <laughs> it took me a moment. I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah. You went after you went, you, you, you went after evangelical culture and, and is, is being Beta. And you, you've talked about Alpha and Beta in the past. Right. But there's been some weird stuff popping up. Yes. Uh, in response to that, some people misunderstanding you, but then other people that are kind of nutty. Yep. Could you just briefly here explain, like, give us a short take on Alpha, Beta, and then this red pill weirdness. Yes. Could you talk about oh, that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so yeah, I, I posted this. Uh, I think the video is called uh, uh, Evangelical Culture is Beta Culture. And what I was trying to say was essentially that uh, men are incentivized to be passive within evangelicalism, which mm. is an idea. And I'm happy that it's, an, it's a video that people are interacting with because it's prompted them to reflect on these issues you know they love it yeah right or they hate it or they hate it and <laughs> and i was trying to simply the only thing i was trying to say is that sort of i grew up with uh, a manly dad around a lot of other manly men and i enjoyed that and i took a lot of values from those guys and i am who i am today because i saw the what what a community of men who are really striving to be men according to a traditional conception of masculinity the good that that can do yeah and and i've benefited from it and i hope to pass those values on to the community that i'm in and my children uh and and so uh, a lot of guys reached out and said, thank you so much. Uh, I really appreciate you saying that, essentially pointing out that, that well, the only point I wanted to make was that, that it should be more easy for men who are trying to be real men to fit within evangelicalism. And if you want to, if your, if your response to that is, well, what even is a man? Well, you can listen to our last episode that we did on masculinity where mm-hmm. we break all that down. Right. And so my, my critique of the whole beta culture is essentially this, this notion that in order for men to fit into evangelicalism, they need to become compliant and passive and quiet and essentially become women. And, and people, some people really were refreshed by that because they had felt the pressure to do that, men in particular. And women also reached out to me and said, thank you so much. You know, I see the damage this is having on my sons or the other men that I know. Hmm. Uh, my husband's really struggled with this. A lot of positive f- feedback, also a lot of negative feedback because, 
I think I made a couple mentions of this, but I might have been able to do it better in the video is that that I'm also I'm, I'm trying not to glorify or I'm, uh, rather I'm not trying to glorify alpha masculinity in the sense that these hyper aggressive guys who take masculine qualities to the extreme. Right. So you, that is not good either. You know, yeah, you're guy, not trying to Driscoll this. Exactly. Or McDonald this. Or right. McDonald this. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and <clears throat> that's exactly right. And people who are worried about that in particular, well, you know, I don't want to drop too many names, but you know, J Joe Carter from the Gospel Coalition commented on Facebook. He said, "Well, he's just trying to revive Driscoll from 2008." Wow! No, 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 no. That's not what I'm trying to that's do. That's exactly what I would expect a beta to say. Yeah, right. Yes, of course. <laughs> and that's and, and that's kidding, the, kidding. And, yes, and that's of course the vicious you know circle that you can get in. Yeah. But real men are men who are uh, are not guilted into being effeminate, and yet at the same time have an ideal toward which they're striving, which allows them to be secure enough to restrain themselves right and that when you see a real man you don't see a man who has his emotions out of control his anger out of control and there and and i was sort of surprised that the video was really picked up and carried down the field and, and kind of utilized by this whole movement where where people people were associating this video with red pill movement the red pill movement red pill christianity what and is that I, well, yeah, like i didn't i i when i released the video i didn't even know what it was oh and so and red pill christianity is basically a bunch of guys i think what i'm picking up is a bunch of guys who have had bad experiences with women they either their wives have left them and you know they've went through that whole divorce process and that and they're really bitter and their perspective is basically men need to be men and not take the blue pill which is from the matrix metaphor being don't buy into the world as it's given to you don't mm -hmm. believe that what women are telling you that they want is what they really want what they really want is a man who's domineering and aggressive and takes what he wants and that's what really turns them on and you should sleep with as many women as you can and be now that's red pill oh. you know that kind of hyper dominant hyper aggressive right. yeah. it's just ridiculous yeah. it's a parody of itself i mean you know this whole this whole no the, the, so this whole red pill christianity which is like just a just this hyper macho guys trying to be as man as they can be like okay I, I get it. Maybe there's a place for trying to be uh, more masculine. I think there is a place for trying to be more masculine. Yeah. And that was my basic point. But I don't was I don't identify with or associate with red pill Christianity, and and I certainly don't glorify. <clears throat> excuse me. I certainly don't glorify being an alpha male. I think that you, the whole thing is when people talk about toxic masculinity, they're talking about <coughs> Driscoll. They're talking about yeah. alpha. They're talking yeah, about only one brand of right exactly. Toxicity, yeah. And and I'll end on this point, which is that to say when Thomas Aquinas. Drawing on Augustine speaks about virtue. Virtue is a matter of balance. It's a particular trait. And if you go too much, it's a vice. And if you go too little, it's a vice. So take facing danger, right? If you face danger, and what's the overindulgence of that? It's foolhardiness. We're running into battle. You're not being strategic. You, you know, or that's, bloodlust. That's, yeah, that's yeah. right. Or bloodlust. That's exactly right. And the, and, and, and the, uh, having not enough of that is cowardice, mm -hmm. right? But so it's about balance. That's why, that's how we conceived of the vices. I think that's good. And I think that's what I'm trying to push toward being in terms of encouraging men to be men. The reason that I emphasize the need to overcome beta culture within evangelicalism is because that's the imbalance of evangelicalism. Right, right. It's too, it encourages men to be too passive. Other people need to hear the opposite message. And I don't intend my critique of beta male culture within Christianity to be my comprehensive take on masculinity. 
I'm glad that it began a conversation. I think on the internet, it, everybody kind of brings their opinions to the internet and refortifies those opinions somehow. You know, like Bill Burr says, everybody just goes to omright.com and then just figures out what they believe mm-hmm. from there. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, I just sort of wanted to clarify that. And I appreciate you guys giving me the opportunity to do this. That, that, you know, the fact that Christian men, need to retrieve or recover traditional conception of, conceptions of masculinity, which serve us in becoming better men, uh, uh, doesn't mean that we ought to take the, there's no end to that extreme, that yeah. there's no bad version of that. Of course there is. And we need, li- these are limiting concepts on yeah. one another and we need to re- retrieve that. So, yeah. I'm grateful that you're taking the time to, to from, from, you know, from your perspective, trying to balance the scale mm. and it, you know what I mean? It, it takes time. Like right? you're, you're, you're in the process of articulating for yourself and for all of us, um, a, a, a way of thinking through the problems. Mm. And so that means, well, I'm going to, you're going to be kind of working back and forth, refining, right. articulating and addressing new issues. I'm really gr- grateful that you're doing it. Um, and we look forward to hearing more. All right. Now, Today, we're going to talk about pacifism, mm. right? Lots of Christians uh, uh, love pacifism, hate violence. Uh, they, they, they believe in uh, you know, nonviolence uh, in terms of uh, individual acts uh, or non-action, and then pacifism as a, as a philosophy. Yeah, they're so beta. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, well, let's just talk about this for a minute. What, what is pacifism, and, um, and why do many Christians um, argue for it? Yes, absolutely. Well, there are degrees of pacifism, but I think what we want to talk about is absolute pacifism, which is the notion that any violence is immoral because it, 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 uh, it violates the dignity of the human being. And even, and there's absolute pacifism, which can manifest itself in the political realm as uh, nonviolence as a methodology of protest, which right. is sort of that Martin Luther King oriented, you know, civil rights nonviolent uh, 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 means of protest. That's one kind of pacifism, but absolute pacifism is the, is to judge uh, uh, nation states at war to be in a state of immorality because they are at war. So it is it is a it, it is a position relative to the use of violent force, saying that it is it is an it is an inherent good, and that there and that or, excuse me that is it is an inherent bad, and that even from a utilitarian perspective, that we ought not to do it. It ought always to be avoided, uh, no matter the cost. In other words, pacifism is. Uh, the is to conceive of nonviolence as an absolute moral dictum or an absolute moral ideal. And there are certain moral ideals, and we'll get into this in a little bit, but that, that is basically what pacifism is. In terms of Christian pacifism, mm-hmm. that is drawing on the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, of course, where it's not simply that nonviolence is an absolute moral ideal, but, but that manifests itself in terms of anti-retaliation, yeah. that any, even self-defense is immoral. And so before I judge that idea or, or anything like that, I think it's important that we simply stay, we simply try to clarify what claims are being made. What, what is the moral right? What is the moral wrong? Absolute pacifism, uh, 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 says that nonviolence is a moral ideal. Christian absolute pacifism says that even self-defense, even retaliation is a moral ideal. Now, would some pacifists come back and say, well, I'm a little bit more pragmatic about that. I'd want to be picking every, of course, everybody's going to want to pick and choose their version of pacifism that makes the most sense. And in that sense, the discussion about pacifism and war, when you talk about the ideologies, they can sound very distinct. And for some people, they are. But I think that the conversation about these issues really does come down to common sense, because I think 
everybody who is an American and who benefits from the values of America and living in a strong America recognizes that, that there is a need for peace to be sustained somehow through military, even if they uh, even if they believe that that sustenance <coughs> is immoral, they they reap the fruits of that. They reap the be- yeah. the benefits of that. And so and and that's not a critique of pacifism. What I'm trying to say is that even when you talk to pacifists, even when we before we even have this conversation, this really isn't so much about philosophy per se, in the sense that the best kinds of conversations about this are going to be very common sense conversations, very common sense conversations. So that's what pacifism is. Which is what you asked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, you know, the, the, definitely we've seen this, the appeal comes from, um, from Matthew, uh, Jesus saying, you know, if someone strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Right. Um, and it's, it's, I'd like to know because from, from your reading on this, yes, because I don't read smart people who are pacifists and I'm not <laughs> yeah. saying that there aren't smart people, but sure. like everybody from C.S. Lewis yeah. to people in the reform tradition, to historic, like to Augustine, like back and forth throughout church history, all the guys that I've read that are really smart yeah. are not, do not land here. So is that a limited reading of mine? Who are some people that would argue for the the more robust forms of path pacifism. Who yes. are some of those people and um, right. well, where do they land? Yeah, well, in order to understand pacifist, like the legitimacy, the, the points that pacifism is trying to make, you really have to understand some of the shortcomings of the alternative. So what mm. I want to do is give what the, the views are that okay, you can good, take good. and then show how the sympathies toward pacifism rightly manifest themselves throughout Christian history and history. And then we'll move into something more like a sort of critique. Okay. And so, um, so let's see, what did I just say I was going to do? <laughs> Sorry, I just had a little brain fart there. <laughs> You're going to give an yeah. overview of the views. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, that's right. Okay. Beginning there. Uh, thanks for getting me back on track. So the three views that you can have are pacifism, which we've just explained, is more uh, nonviolence is a moral absolute. Then there is realism. And realism is an approach which essentially says war, as long as people exist, war will exist. It's inevitable. Therefore, we ought to execute the acts of war as quickly as we can. And the, the most ethical forms of war are those which uh, uh, mercifully make the war as short as possible by winning it. Yeah. Right. That's what realism is, is that you ought to be as good at war as possible, as good at fighting as possible. So that you could end that conflict. And that's the most merciful thing you can do to the world is to be great at war. And that's that's in the same way that conceiving of pacifism as uh, making nonviolence a moral absolute. Again, this is a version. This is the absolute version of realism. And you might have more pragmatic realists, yeah. which say uh, qualified versions. Of yeah, that. but you're, so, you're speaking in generalities. Exactly. So you've got pacifism, which is making nonviolence a moral absolute realism, which is essentially uh, uh, making pragmatism an absolute and making the utilitarian end of of ending war as quickly as possible a moral absolute. And then you've got just war theory, which has, well, it really has arisen within the Christian tradition and sophisticated itself within the Christian tradition, Mm -hmm. which is to say that, well, Thomas Aquinas, he he distinguishes between uh, the license to fight a war and actual just war, justia bellum. And, and just war is the notion that war can itself be a good uh, in the world. It, it, it can actually be not only, uh, well, I'm going to get into this, uh, uh, the distinction. Well, I might as well make this distinction here. Make a distinction between an inherent good and a utilitarian good. A utilitarian good is a good 
which is good by virtue of the effects it produces. If it produces a net good, if mm-hmm. it stays in the ethical green or the ethical black rather, yeah. then 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 it is a good. An inherent good, it, it is measured uh, in terms of its worth or its ethical value uh, without without reference to the effects or the consequences it produces. It either is good or bad, inherently so. So you can have things which are inherently good, like right intentions. It's good to have good intentions, but you can have good intentions have bad effects. So it can be a utilitarian bad and an inherent good. You can have the the opposite too. You can have something that is an inherent bad that produces a utilitarian good, right? Mm. Which is how the Calvinist or theodicy works, the defense for the problem of evil, saying that God can bring good out of things which are inherently evil in the world. Uh, And so, so just war says that, that war can be if it meets certain criteria, both a utilitarian good and an inherent good. And some of those criteria are things like that the war is carried out by those who have authority to fight wars, who are the princes and governors and things like that. So it's not about violence between individuals because that, that's that's different. So we don't have as much license to fight. And we certainly can't enact justice because we don't, we're not the authorities to enact justice. If it's a just cause, the intentions of the princes who fight the wars have to be just. The proportionality of the means that you use to fight the war has to has to be proportional to the ends which are being, you know, caused or, or that that you're that you're seeking to manifest through the war. Uh, you have to just discriminate between combatants and non-combatants, all of these criteria. So that's what just war theory is. If you meet certain criteria, Mm -hmm. war can be both a utilitarian and an inherent good. So those are the three views, pacifism, realism, and just war. And there are Christian versions and non-Christian versions of all of these views. Now, uh, I really like this quote by Stanley Hauerwas, who is a Christian pacifist, Mm -hmm. who says, Hauerwas says, I'm a pacifist so that I don't kill everybody. And it's his way. And, and that, that's essentially his notion, his view of human nature. He's a Christian. Yeah. He believes in the fall. And he says that pacifism is God's ideal that he calls us to. And of course, it's not pragmatic, but we need to follow it and we need to pursue it. Just yeah. like many of the ideals of the kingdom are not practical, we still need to seek to manifest it on earth and through, through our individual practice of nonviolence. And so that's, that's one Christian version of that. And I understand that sympathy. I, totally. I'm sympathetic to that. But, but I think even, and I'm sure if Howard Watts were here, we'd have a much more interesting conversation. But wait, I wait. think oh, more interesting than you're having with us. Here sorry, with we're not standing well, Howard yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Why don't you go pick up Resident <laughs> Aliens? Just read it. Be better than talking about it. I should say inter- more interesting than me monologuing like this. Oh, right? okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. yeah. But, but, but I'm sure he would have a lot of uh, things to say back to what I'm saying right now. But all that to say, usually when you hear pacifists talk, it's much more, especially when they're Christian pacifists, it is much more oriented toward the, 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 uh, the, the individual seeking an ideal for himself and less about a statecraft, less about nation building, less about peace in the world, which leads us. So we made a distinction between utilitarian good and inherent good. This leads us to another distinction between, well, this is what Augustine distinguished between the Pax Romana, which is that's a historic concept for the peace that Rome established. And it was it, it established this peace by the sword, right? right? It was a certain form of governing. They they established this peace through military power. So Augustine distinguished between the Pax Romana and the Pax Christi, which is the peace of Christ that we have. And the means by which you attain peace, the peace of Christ, and the means by which you attain the peace of Rome or or global economic political peace mm-hmm. are very different. They require different means in order to be effective. Now, you already hear often that, that um, you already hear in the way that I'm talking about these two things that that pacifism tends to make its arguments based on ideas, based on a certain form of moral idealism, whereas just war theory and realism tends to sound like it makes more pragmatic arguments. So the question is, can there be such a thing as an ideal 
of a just war? Or can, can the just war theorists and the realist theorists win the war of ideas with pacifism? And the answer, I think, is yes, because when you get down to the pragmatics of war yeah. and the, and the, the pragmatics of cause and effects that, uh, that ultimately having the, uh, having a, having a conception of war according to the theological conception that we have in Augustine and that we have in Thomas Aquinas allows us to engage the, the concerns of pacifism with an appreciation for the value that war can create for us that 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 plays the game of pacifism well so when pacifism says well we should be nonviolent because of human dignity or whatever mm -hmm. realities it, it will appeal to in order to defend pacifism the real argument in terms of ideas because pr pragmatically just war or realism wins okay pa pacifism doesn't work it simply doesn't work as in terms of statecraft, in, ter in terms of political theory. It simply doesn't work because, because pacifism incentivizes aggressors. It, se it incentivizes non-pacifists to be aggressive, to yes. be violent. Come at you to take right? over. And in that sense, it's, it's more, it's, it's pragmatically indefensible. So the question is, can just war or can a realist conception of war, can it, um, can it dignify the concerns of pacifism better than pacifism? And in that sense, the pragmatic question becomes the ideal question. It becomes the question of ideals. Because because there's no such thing as because if pacifism only becomes something which uh, as a concept defends the concept of human dignity rather than something which in practice effectively defends yeah. human dignity, then uh, it, the, the question then becomes, uh, you know, on the ground, you know, when it comes to the ground fight. Uh, 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 which of these things does the job better? So the mm. pragmatic question becomes the ideal question. So yes. So moving on from that, and that, and that's why I actually brings a quote to mind by a guy, by, by Thomas Paine. And Thomas Paine says, I'd be a Quaker if everyone else were a, Qu uh, a Quaker, mm -hmm. right? But then he says, but for now, I'll pick up my musket and thank heaven for it. And I yeah. think that's a, that's a pretty good perspective that kicks us off into understanding. And we haven't even really got yet into a Christian conception of wars, because the question then becomes if pacifism doesn't work and just war, uh, theory or realism could possibly address the concerns, the ideological and philosophical concerns of pacifism better than pacifism. Well, how is that the case? How would you do so? Or, or, or in other words, which, which approach would be better? A, a Christian realism like that of a theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr, or should we as Christians adopt a just war hypothesis where we actually say, so realism would argue that war can be, uh, 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 a utilitarian good, mm -hmm. but it is agnostic with reference to whether it's an inherent good because it's not based on morals. It's more pragmatic. It's based on survival and nation, nations must fight to survive. Mm -hmm. So therefore they ought to do it as well as possible. So realism says war can be uh, a, a utilitarian good if it's fought well. If it's fought poorly, then it's bad. Then yeah. it's an evil. But but just war says it can be a utilitarian good and it can actually be an inherent good, which is why you have the term just. So it's not so people say the word that people hear the word just and they think, well, you know, it's 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 uh, it's just another way of saying good war. It's not for Thomas Aquinas and for the Christian tradition. Just war is war is the means by which God has ordained to establish justice on earth, mm. to reign, to to provide civil order, to reign in the consequences of evil men. So, uh, that's, that's kind of a survey of the views. That's a survey of some of the strengths and weaknesses of these views. And I can maybe, uh, I, I might, I, I think I may just want to make one more comment, which is on the commonalities of each of these views. So you picture a, a Venn diagram, right? What's yep. the, what's the 
three version of that called where you've got like three circles, right? So you've got it's the trivenerate di- Venn diagram. Yeah, trivenerate. Is it really called No, that? I just uh, made that okay, up. I have well, no yeah. idea. Well, trigram. The, the trigram. Yep. I like it. Yes. Yep. So, so what just war and pacifism have in common is that they believe that moral ideals exist and that just war theory believes that war can itself not be an end in itself, but can be the upholding directly of a moral ideal. Whereas pacifism, of course, is trying to uphold the ideal of human dignity and right. peace. Uh, so that's what just war and pacifism has, have in common. Realism and pacifism, they, uh, they believe that violence is not God ordained. So realism believes that violence is not God ordained because they don't need God's ordination in order to fight a war. It's, a, it's about pragmatism. Pacifism believes God, it, violence is not God ordained because uh, 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 because it's unethical and because God is holy. Then you have the commonality between just war and realism being that war can be a good. And that's what differentiates it from pacifism. So that gives right. us a taxonomy of the views. That gives us an overlay of the options and how they work. Uh, and now I think I can comment on... Uh, so the question might be, well, what is the shortcoming of just war from a Christian perspective? What could it possibly be? What could the... What, what could the um, what, what could the pragmatic shortcoming be of a just war theory? And the pragmatic shortcoming of just war theory is this. When two nations enter into war, and this was really brought to the forefront in World War I, when two nations come into war, come into conflict, and they both have a just war conception mm-hmm. of battle and, yeah, of which war one's right? and of violence, who's right? What if they're both Christian nations? Mm. This is what you have in World War One. This is what you have when both sides are conceiving of their goal, conceiving of their end, conceiving of their criteria for what happens if both sides meet Augustine's seven criteria for just war or Thomas's threefold criteria for just war. What happens then? The problem with just war theory pragmatically becomes if you have two sides who believe in just war theory, it's much harder to resolve. It's much harder to ask one side to surrender because they have God on their side. Mm-hmm. They fulfilled the criteria. They have a good cause. They're, you know, to, 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 to ask a side to compromise would actually be asking them to do more than simply set aside the war. It would be asking them to compromise the very Christian principles, which they've utilized to conceive of the justness of the war. Yeah. So, so pragmatically, that's the pacifist critique. And well, you could even say it's the realist slash pacifist critique of just war. Now, coming back from that, uh, uh, what the, and this is the response to that by the just war theologian to the pacifist, which is to say, okay, it's just, just war theory is not a way of motivating war. And in that sense, the critique of just war theory that I just listed sort of misconceives just war theory in the sense that just war theory shouldn't be a theory which propels wars. It is rather a system of values within which we can measure the means and the goals and the proper way of going about carrying out a war. And one of the, one of Augustine's criteria for war is that it's, it's a last resort. And yeah. so, so, uh, 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 and, and in that sense, just war theory is simply our way of evaluating or bringing our values to the fact of war, bringing our, to what realism would call, you know, the irrevocability of war in the world and say, okay, what, what values are operating here? What is the good? What is the bad? Act, making, making real time ethical valuations of political decisions 
you know, that involve violence. So that is the response to pacifism. And it's simply, and, and this is where pacifism actually as an idea begins to crumble a little bit, which is this, that the pacifist critique of just war theory saying that, well, it's more difficult to resolve then and that the ultimate goal of, uh, uh, of, a, of a war theory should be to bring it to resolution. And if just war theory, you know, propels or makes it more difficult to bring to resolution, then it should be dispensed with. But just where theory says, well, see, this is where you've compromised your principles already in terms of the pacifist perspective, which, which is that to say that the most important thing is, res is, is, is resolution rather than justice is to sort of call into the mm. question, okay, uh, uh, let, let me think about how I want to state this or articulate this, that, that pacifism has, it, it contradicts itself in this way that it is it is predicated on a moral absolutism of nonviolence and in that sense it, it believes in a moral a ethical absolute but its critique of just war theory actually presupposes a moral relativism because mm. it says that it, it, it in order to critique it once it once it starts getting onto the ground in a ground and pound with just war theory yeah. the problem is that it <clears throat> it utilizes utilitarian arguments in order to critique the efficacy of just war so when it says to just war well you prolong wars by making both sides think they're right well then the pacifist has engaged in utilitarianism and has already in a sense given ground to the 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 ethical validity of pragmatic arguments and in that case you've already sort of lost as soon as you start arguing pragmatically it's not going to work for just war theory because even in principle, if you say, well, just war theory makes wars more difficult to resolve, that's not how the world, that's not how wars have actually played out. So if you say, well, conceptually, just war theory ought to make wars harder to resolve, that's the pacifist critique. And, and of course, it relies on a sort of moral relativism because it can't conceive of values which could act, actually make sense of the theory itself. And secondly, that's not how just wars play out. Mm -hmm. That's not how sides with just war theories play out. Because at the end of the day, these a lot of countries which held to just war theories ended up ended up actually being realists because there were all these uh, contracts and conventions in place before World War One, which were intended to be the architecture of peace in Europe, and they were basically all just thrown in the garbage can as soon as ever, as soon as the ball of World War One started rolling. Yeah, and so so actually all of these sides which engaged in World War One, and that's the pacifist argument against uh, against just war. It's like, look at all these sides that have just war and they couldn't resolve uh, their conflict. Whereas the fact that their very actions show that maybe in theory they were just war, but they were they acted like realists mm. because they weren't men of their word and they were more Machiavellian mm. rather than a Christian just war theory. So that's kind of the response to pa pacifism. Is I would say that, A, you can't argue pragmatically if your whole argument is that we're, we're arguing about ideas rather than practice because clearly pacifism fails in practice. And then second, your critique of just war is more conceptual than, than practical because because just war theory actually does not work the way that the criticism says it ought to work, even though I understand conceptually why they would make that criticism. So that's an initial uh, survey of the categories. I know I've been rambling a little bit. That's a survey of the categories, some of the strengths and weaknesses of the views and how they would respond to one another. So, And I think I imagine some people are <clears> – <throat> some of our listeners will be like – I don't understand what you guys are doing. Okay. <laughs> can you just, can you just like read the Bible right. and say what the Bible says? Yeah. And of course we can make the arguments. We've, we've got an episode on justified violence. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. So we read where you know, Jesus says, Hey, when you're traveling out there uh, in this new covenant mission, 
take a sword. Mm. This is not a stinking metaphor, Jesus said in the Greek. Um, <laughs> is that what he said in the Greek? Uh, not so much, but, uh, <laughs> but like he said, hey, take a sword because um, mm-hmm. you have to defend. You're going to be traveling. You have to be able to defend yourself. Right. You can you can read the Mosaic Law. And yes, you can see that that God allows for self-defense, uh, even to the point of death, that mm-hmm. you won't be uh, held liable uh, for murder in such cases. And then, of course, we can read all the passages that talk about how God hates the violent heart and the violent soul. Mm-hmm. People are prone to violence. We can look at all of that stuff. But to flesh it out, um, to understand what all of these means and to understand how they um, actually work in the world, you've got to spend some time actually reading, thinking talking yeah. and listening. Right. And that's where a brother like Paul is really helpful because, you know, uh, Jimmy and I are guys that are really dialed into the scripture and we don't have the breadth of Paul's education and reading. Um, and so that's why we read a lot of people. That's why we listen to guys like Paul and people that are different from Paul so that we can have a better understanding of what's really in play here. What are the things that we're likely to miss if we're just, you know, sort of, I don't mean this in a bad sense, but proof texting for our points. There are philosophical arguments and underpinnings to uh, how you handle those texts. And that's mm. part of what we're dealing with here. And I'd love to engage in a couple, uh, uh, in a little bit of exegetical um, uh, stuff, if Great. you guys don't mind. Yeah, so, yeah let's, 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 let's kind of, That'd be good to end on because I yeah. think that's what a lot of our people would really Where, like some direction. Yeah, yeah. And and of course, uh, there are other books that I could recommend that I'll have you guys put in the show notes. But I'll just keep it simple and keep it to the text. Okay. So there are three verses that I want us to look at. The first one is uh, – and and well, the first one is Ephesians 6. Now, obviously, I think we can – people who are listening probably have picked up at this point. I uh, lean more toward – the just war theory, because I think it works. Now, Paul, can you defend this theologically? I think I have support for it theologically. Now, like you just said, Joe, uh, 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 we don't, sometimes we need to begin with what seems to be common (laughs) sense and, and harmonies that certain common sense arguments have with scripture, and then kind of see what the sinews and ligaments are, which attach common sense arguments to biblical arguments. It's not always straightforward or clear. Uh, 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 and so, so, so uh, that's just my way of saying not every, we're not biblicists. Calvin right. wasn't a biblicist. The reform weren't biblicists, which means you don't have to proof text everything. You don't have to have a Bible and verse for everything, but it's good sometimes to see what the ligaments are that connect common sense arguments and exegetical arguments. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the verses I'm talking about here entail just war theory, although I kind of am in the third verse, which we'll see. So, <laughs> so Ephesians 6, 12, where Paul says that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, right? This might be a pacifist proof text, right? He, Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rules of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. A couple things wrong with a pacifist appeal to this. So Paul's, of course, Paul's argument isn't that citizens shouldn't defend themselves, uh, defend right. themselves, right? So, so for example, talking to to the Philippians, like Paul's talking to Roman soldiers. He's 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 a he's a he's a politically involved man, and I think that if you were ever to to preach a preach a message of pacifism that would that would probably put a lot specific, uh, specifically philippi a lot of the, a lot of the people in that community on their heels but sec- but second paul's argument isn't that citizens shouldn't defend themselves but that the kingdom of god is not fundamental is not fundamentally an earthly sovereign city state and in paul's mind it, it paul, yeah, so paul probably clearly has in mind the political tensions between the jews and the romans which mm-hmm. climaxed in the failed bar kokhba rebellion and so so when paul's saying we don't wrestle against flesh and blood i think he's just trying to say hey for the record i've got to say this somewhere might as well say it to you guys <laughs> right like we like that's not what we're trying to do 
So we're not trying to build the 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 Christian right. whatever. We're, yeah. we're, we're, because then, I mean, what essentially Paul's saying is we're not trying to build the Holy Roman Empire. Yeah, that's what that's what his argument is. And Oops. yes, right, yeah, right, right. And 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 you know, I, I think it's wrong. I think it's interesting. Like, obviously, Paul is saying that well, the the battle's not. Uh, to build a, a Christian nation state, but rather to to uh, to fight a spiritual battle. But even in this passage in Ephesians six, Paul says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness in this age. And then he says against spiritual hosts of wickedness. So I have to think that okay, I'm not saying that Paul is licensing uh, a sort of. Um, uh, uh, governmental protest or something like that, because clearly the point of the, the import of the passage is we don't wrestle against right. flesh and blood. Mm-hmm. But, but to say that Paul lists a number of things here, not merely spiritual realities. What does he mean by that? Well, perhaps there is a sense here in which Paul is suggesting, maybe even just tacitly or implicitly, that political activism is a legitimate expression of Christianity. So, so I want to make room for that too, that a purely pacifist reading of this passage doesn't, I think, take into full account the uh, positive political, the positive construal that Paul, I think, gives here to political involvement. Second passage is the one we've already mentioned, Matthew 5, where Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Now, Jesus also says that you should give to the one who borrows from you mm-hmm. or, or who wants to borrow from you. And it's like, okay, so does the pacifist just lend out their money to everybody? You know, it's like, it's like clearly what's happening here is that Jesus is expressing an ideal that we ought to strive to embody. Because in that same passage where Jesus says, if anybody slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the, the other also. He says, if someone asks you to go with them one mile, go with them two miles. Yeah. What's the context of that? It's a soldier asking you to assist them in their military duties. Which means that if a soldier conscripts you to take to carry their armor one mile, carry that, you know, participate in that military activity. You should actually support the troops. That's part of that passage that Jesus is talking about there. Now, what is he saying? Am I going to say that this passage teaches that that well, believers have to support the troops because, uh, uh, or they should support any political or military endeavor of their government because because that's what Jesus is teaching? No, of course not. What Jesus is saying is that you should hold yourself to an ethical ideal and that yeah. you shouldn't be aggressive and that that men should be restrained is it and and you think of a situation particularly we've already made a distinction between uh, uh national violence right and that's one of augustine's criteria for just war is that it's enacted by an authority somebody a prince who has authority to actually enact war right so 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 uh uh, uh so jesus here is clearly talking he's not he's not directing a nation he's directing individuals think about the image of a man who's being slapped in the face and turns to the guy and just looks at him mm. what you don't have power over me. You are not going to rile me up. That's a strength. That's a virtue. See, that's not how people think about it. No, it's not. You know not. how they think about it? They think about it like those old, awesome black and white movies where like the man and the woman are arguing and like she's being a little ridiculous right. and he slaps her <laughs> and then like her um, head spins and then she holds it there like, oh, boo-hoo. Yeah. Like, like that's how we think about yes. it. That's, that's how we, we're like, whoa, Jesus is putting us in that perspective. I don't even think I've thought about it in terms of uh, when you're slapped by your opponent right. uh, with as an insult or whatever, that we don't flinch. Yeah, that's a really good way like, to put that's, it. That's 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 a, really that's, that's a strong. It. By the way, I'm not advocating slapping women. I'm glad you clarified that because you're like, oh, she's being ridiculous. <laughs> oh, she, she deserved. Being, oh, the, oh, I didn't say deserved. I didn't <laughs> oh, say deserved. <laughs> well, he she was might just, have had it coming. Justified. Kind of what you were saying. Justified violence. I'm just saying. Like, make sure you're very clear. Those movies back then. 
<laughs> you know, hashtag. Back then, yeah. then you could do stuff. Yeah. Hashtag. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nah, I'm not saying it was hashtag a good thing. Back then, you could do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Hashtag right. abusive like, Joe. <laughs> it's like it's like you know, like someone would be slapped, and it would be like Joe does not speak for both crumbled. Us. Yes, and. Man, I like that idea because it's, it's still right. humble. Yes. It's like that's what humility is, yes. right? It's it's restraining the strength, right? Um, and, and that's really you know, good. It's actually a great. This is a great verse, not to harken back to the whole alpha beta thing, but it's like, yeah, this like like this verse is Jesus's middle way between alpha and beta masculinity, which is that because pacifists essentially take this text to teach that you should be a beta, right? That you should just passively submit and be, well, be a pacifist, right? And, and, and of course there's that effeminate sense, almost as, as if the text is asking you to act like a woman when another man aggresses toward you and not defend yourself. And the alternative, and, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 but of course, of course, you know, I don't even think that would have been a legitimate option as a, as a perspective for masculinity by Jesus or, or in this, even in this world, men in this, in the, in Jesus's world like that wouldn't have survived. But, but he's, but he's, what he's really saying is, you know, um, Yes, yes, that, that you ought to restrain yourself because that's what, because actually in that very context in Matthew 5, I'm not even looking at the passage right now, but he says, you have heard it was said, eye for an eye, mm-hmm. right? And then he holds them to a higher standard. But of course, the original context of eye for an eye was against the backdrop of these, uh, uh, who was it? Um, was it Lamech or whoever it was that, that, that over, it, he exaggerated the retaliation, right? Yeah. And, and, and the point of the Deuteronomic law was to make things fair, not, not to, not to push people to, to give an eye for an eye, but to restrain people from doing anything more than eye for an eye, right? The point of that equality of justice, of equity, was restraint. Mm-hmm. That you don't want people taking vengeance and then perpetuating vengeance, perpetuating violence, right? Is to restrain that. And that's that's the function of that verse. But yes, so if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also is a is an expression of strength, not pacifism. And then finally we get to Romans 13, mm-hmm. one through four and verse six. Now you guys, did you discuss this in your, uh, I don't think so. Okay. We, we probably touched on it. Uh, we probably did. Yeah. yeah I, I, I just want to draw some resonances between this passage and just war theory, which is, so Paul says this, he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. Judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? And you could just hear Augustine yeah. here because one of his criteria is, or one, you know, actually this is played out more in Thomas, but, but one of his criteria is that there's somebody, somebody's aggressing violence in the world and it's the Christian's duty not mm-hmm. to neglect that. It is the Christian's duty to stop that, right? So, so anyway, I'll c- continue with Paul in Romans 13. He says, would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid afraid for, and this is a crucial, Paul says, for he does not bear the sword in vain, yeah. for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. The authorities are ministers of God. He's, I skipped a couple words. Paul says God's got that and got, he is an avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. That's verse four. Then he goes into verse six. He says the authorities are ministers of God. Now, I just want to say this is why I hold the just war theory, because mm-hmm. the dif- distinction between, okay, just war theory says that war can be, if it meets the right criteria, a utilitarian good and an inherent good. 
Realism says war can be a utilitarian good, but it, it is agnostic about the, the, the fact of inherent goods. And then pacifism, which says that war can neither be an inherent good nor a utilitarian good. In this passage, Paul says he does not bear the sword in vain. War can be a utilitarian good. Now, we might make a distinction here between uh, the, a state policing itself and a state policing the world. But I think here what you get is, a th is, is Paul's instruction about the use of government force. Right. And so he says he does not bear the sword in vain. That means that war can be a utilitarian good. He also says he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. War can be an inherent good. Mm. It can simply be an expression of God's wrath against evil in the world. That's why people, and this is just a little tangent, but people talk about the, 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 the incarceration system and prison and all that stuff. And they say, well, shouldn't prison be rehabilitative? Like it, prison shouldn't be punitive, right? God is punitive and we get our moral standard from God. And listen, I, I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to be some, some like hard hat about, about uh, morality and some goody two shoes that say, you know, bad people should be punished. They shouldn't be given a second chance. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we, like, if you don't have a category for punitive justice, right. you don't have a fully biblical conception. Yeah, you can, you can, force. you can offer mercy in the punishment. You yes. can, um, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, an American principle, right? Yes. That we don't, we have, we don't have uh, unjust, cruel and unjust punishment. Right. Um, that the punishment should be measured and there can be mercy extended in there and, mm -hmm. and rehabilitation and, and, uh, reformation can be offered in that context as well, don't you think? Yes. But you, yeah, if you, once you eliminate, <laughs> Right. Actual punishment or discipline from the process, then it becomes something else. And and in that sense, that's where I think for Paul, it, there is a logic to it, too. He's not just speaking ex cathedra. He's not saying mm. war can be a good government force can be a good. Henceforth, it shall be. He's saying, you know, he does not bear the sword in vain. What does he mean by that? It maintains civic good. That's what he was talking about. The whole he says, don't you fear? You know, he says he says for, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Right. That that is why he does not bear the sword in vain, because it produces a net good. Therefore, it is a utilitarian good because it restrains evil. Likewise, he says he is the servant of God and avenger who carries God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God, it is God's the govern um, uh, nations who are good, nations who have Christian values are God's means of 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 manifesting justice again one of god's means of manifesting god's justice against evil in the world that's why i may get in a lot of tr trouble here but i think it was uh, uh uh dick cheney who said the world needs a strong america and he's absolutely right we need a pax romana we need a governmental civic peace that is distinguishable from christian peace even though the two ought to exist in harmony that's why early christians the early christian fathers that most of them were pacifists up until constantinianism when there was more of a cultural marriage between uh the right. pax romana and the pax christi but 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 early christians were pacifist because that like like what was it maximilian or something like that one of this famous christian pacifists they they were pacifists because they had the luxury of being pacifists mm. When you don't have the luxury of being a pacifist, yeah. you're not a pacifist. And that's the greatest argument against pacifism mm -hmm. is evil. That is the greatest argument right. against pacifism. And of course, pacifists would say, would try to make the opposite argument. You can go in circles <coughs> on this argument forever. But I think scripture speaks definitively. War can be a utilitarian good and an inherent good yeah. if it comes from values which are inherently Christian and, or, or, or even if it comes from values which are formally Christian. So if you have somebody like, 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 like America, let's say, is America a Christian nation? Well, it certainly perpetuates Christian values in the world. And that's, that's all we need to say. 
for us to be able to conceive of it doing good through military. It's not a gospel nation. Correct. It, it's not Correct. an evangelical nation in Correct. the theological sense. Correct. But right. In terms of Judeo-Christian values and ethics. Right. Yeah. So that's, a, I, I just wanted to end on Romans 13, just saying that. Well, let's, listen, I, the only thing that I, the thing that I usually like struggle with is, is when people, all right. So like I was a kid who was bullied like yep. when I was a little kid and I was beat up because I had a smart mouth. So maybe it was mostly my fault. Um, <laughs> it was probably hundred percent your hundred percent. Yeah. But, uh, and then I learned how to fight and then nobody bullied me again. Like mm. that stopped real quick. Mm. And then the few fights that I got into were when, um, I would, let's say, engage bullies uh, who are picking on somebody. Uh, I, I have a real hard time with that. And so like, uh, the experience of injustice, rape, abuse, that kind of a thing, mm. I have a really hard time with the idea like that you're going to, in a practical sense, embrace pacifism when there's a woman being raped in the alley. Yes. And what are you going to do? Well, like, well, I'll just call the police. Well, then you're not actually practicing. I mean, you're going to let them right. do the violence. <laughs> right. so, for, so you're still right. for violence if it's not you. Yeah. And then secondly, they're not going to get there. So yes. what are you going to do? Like it really, it's hard for me to take them seriously. To me, to me, pacifism, pacifism seems like an evil. Yes. I'll say it that way. Yes. I think pacifism is an evil because you're not protecting those who need it. Yes. That really bothers me. Yes. So I let, why don't, Jimmy and I, um, uh, you know, we frequently say it this way, that we are, we are, I would say Jimmy's a pacifist. I'm a pacifist. If by that we mean well, we want to pass our fist across your face. <laughs> that's, that's really how we're going to end it. Listen, Paul, thanks for coming. As soon as you said that, I was like, uh, you're not speaking for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, but I am. Yeah, but you, I would, yeah, 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 you clarified yeah. it. Like, pass the oh, fist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we're pacifists. Like, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. We agree with MacArthur. I, I know. <laughs> you see? Right. Did you see MacArthur yes. on the Shapiro thing? Yes, I that did. That was weird. Wasn't yeah, it? I would. Was the whole American Revolution thing weird? Yeah, no. I thought it was weird. Yeah, I would disagree. I mean, I would disagree. Yeah. I disagreed with him, but yeah. I thought it was my weird. wife said. My wife's yeah. like, "Do you listen to MacArthur?" And yeah. I'm like, "No." And she's like, "I did at the gym." I'm like, "Wasn't yeah. any good?" She goes. He argued for pacifism. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was her one thing that she was really bothered. And by. again, when you hear his argument, it's very much an idealistic argument. And you hear when you hear pacifists argue, they have to they have to argue about concepts. They can't argue tactically, oh, yeah. strategically, right. pragmatically. And once you get down to the and but 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 see the the it re, re, sorry to be a pacifist requires a hard distinction between concepts and practice. And the fact is that the two especially in the case of violence, are the same. Mm. The ideas have to be concretized. They have to be grounded in reality. And when you speak about it abstractly, it's easy to be a pacifist. I can argue for anything in the abstract. Of I course. can argue, argue for absurd notions in the abstract. It takes and one be winsome. Per- yes, like, exactly. Right? You can influence people. Exactly. And and you take one virtue. That's the problem. That's why Thomas Aquinas, and I'm not a Roman Catholic, so everybody's like, why are you talking about Thomas Aquinas so much? Well, you know, I, I, he first of all, Thomas was a very skilled exegete, so he argued a lot from scripture. And when he argues philosophically, a lot of that is rooted from his biblical exegesis but but when you when you take that's why he had seven virtues and seven vices they are a in concert produce a virtuous person but if you take one virtue in the abs, abstract and then you isolate it in 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 uh, distinction from the others well that's bad that's going to produce vice and and when you argue abstractly and when you are not willing to argue practically and admit that pacifism doesn't work and you, and and you say well that's not an argument against pacifism that's the best argument against mm-hmm. pacifism and the fact that you require such a hard distinction between between concepts and practice, it proves that this is ethically wrong and real ethics, successful ethics, which 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 uh, correlates with the biblical teaching of God's concern for the real world, will always care about the pragmatics of an ethical position. Mm-hmm. They will always care about it, and they will be changed in their position if something doesn't work. And pacifists simply aren't willing to be changed. If you listen to their arguments, if you listen to their ideas, it's all abstract. It's all conceptual. It simply doesn't work. And again, I'm not talking about nonviolent protest. I'm talking about Let's making nonviolence a moral absolute. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not. Do 
what is right. Yes. Right? That is half of the scripture. Yes. And uh, and the theoretical is sidestepping those issues on when we're talking about this. Yes. Jimmy, uh, I know people are going to want to get on on this. If they want to throw red pills at Paul, if they want to <laughs> do things with us online, mm-hmm. if they want to engage the conversation, what do they do? Yeah, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Doc and Devo or on Facebook slash Doctrine and Devotion. You can head on the website, DoctrineDevotion.com. There you can contact us. You can sign up for the email blast or hit up the store, JoeFoStore.com and grab some gear. Fresh Pot every Monday and Thursday. Blog posts on Wednesdays. Video content when available. Later. <laughs>